Welcome to those who are online, also in New Milford, in Derby, and in Waterbury, and uh, to you here in Bethel. It's great to be worshiping together. Um, I want to just give you a little brief update on Church in Action. Um, most of you know that that's one of my areas of oversight that I absolutely love, being involved in our Church in Action missions program. And uh, just a little while back in March, we had our Church in Action week, if you remember some of our great guests and we, we asked you to consider being a part of giving to Church in Action. And let me just remind you what, um, what Kristen was talking about just a moment ago, our tithes and offerings, that is, that is the operating fund. You know, that boring word, the operating fund, that's why I like to call it the opportunity fund. You know, when you give to, to operations, it's not just keeping the lights on, but it's the ministry of the church. Church in Action is different. It's, a, it's an offering. It's something that we encourage you to do over and above your normal giving. And we have this incredible opportunity to give every dollar away that goes to church in action outside of ourselves. Isn't that exciting that we get to do that? And that's why we keep it separate, because this way you can go to the Lord and say, Lord, what would you have me do? And we have seen incredible generosity to church in action. I want to tell you, though, we are a little bit behind from last year on our pledges. Now, I think there might have been a small thing going on in March along with church in action, if you remember. That was also when we shared with you a major transition happening in Walnut Hill. And I think some of us probably just forgot to follow through. And so I want to encourage you. We're about 40 pledge cards behind last year's um, mark, which is still way above the year before. So praise the Lord for that. But we would love to see more people enter into Church in Action this year. And these cards are available in every campus. You can grab them on the way out. Consider being a part of it in whatever amount you can do this year. It's really about each of us coming alongside of this great mission of Walnut Hill and praying for these partners around the world. So I hope that you will consider doing that. So moving on from there, it's time to read the scripture and to look at this incredible parable today that we're going to look at from Matthew. So Matthew 10, I'm sorry, Matthew 18, 10 to 14, it'll be on the screen for you to follow along. Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly father. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. That's the word of the, uh, word of the Lord our God this morning. Thanks be to the Lord. Now this, this passage focuses not so much on those outside of the family of God, that is the Gentiles of that day, but Jesus' words in this particular passage are focused more on those who were in the family of God, the Jews. And so I think for us, certainly there's a connection to the fact that we care about those that are outside of our, our body, outside of our, our family here. But I want to focus a little bit more today on how we care for the one and care for each other here in the family of God. And for those who find their way into this place searching for the Lord. So I want you to know that that's, this passage about the one is more about that. And in other places, Jesus talks about the one. He's talking more about those Gentiles, those ones who are outside of the family of God. Let me tell you a story. I, I, I have to tell you, I was back and forth on whether I really wanted to tell this story because it will, it'll, you'll understand. You'll understand. I, I will, you will like, some, likely some of you will judge me, but it's okay. I can handle it. I'm a big boy. 
Have you ever uh, lost something that was so important that you found that you were frantically pursuing it? Can you think of something? Well, for me, the year was 2009. The whole family had descended upon Orlando, the Magic Kingdom. And I'm going to um, do my family a favor and leave out names so that you know, no one feels too much pain from the story. But just to picture my brother Brian in the Orlando airport, <laughs> Mickey Mouse ears on at the end of a week at Disney, you know, dozing in and out of exhaustion because you never come back from Disney refreshed. Well, we all had, you know, we had children at the time. I, Amy and I had two. Brian and Becca had two. And we were, of course, getting ready to get on a plane. And you know what a week, if you've ever been to Orlando, you know that a weekend in the airport in Orlando is a zoo. And it was that day. It was a zoo. Now, my second born, his name is Will. And Will, even at the, he was one and a half at the time, he was such a curious little guy. Not, not like precocious or in that sort of way, but just wanted to see things, wanted to, never could be still. And so we took turns walking the little guy around the airport, and he's identifying things and asking questions and touching everything. You know, this is pre-COVID, so we weren't even thinking about his dirty hands in the way that we would today and all the things he was touching. And then, of course, we're getting ready to board. And, um, you know, I've got different members of my family approach boarding in different ways. I've got some who, you know, are the ones who sidle right up to the line and just get ready so they can be the first ones, you know, on the jetway because heaven forbid that that overhead compartment space is not there when you get there. Some of you are those people, I know, I know. Others of us might be a little bit more relaxed and, you know, it's going to work itself out. And so we, we boarded the plane at different times and um, we, we all kind of like got together and we, all, we, we kind of looked around and I realized... Will's not here. We'd been taking turns, wandering with him around the airport, and each of us, had, each of us thought that someone else had him. Don't start judging, please. <laughs> I mean, even when I tell the story, it hurts. I want to tell you that I don't know that I, I've never pursued anything more than that moment. You could imagine. Here I was on a plane. I knew it was going to be a hassle just to get off, but I, I know I was not kind to the other guests on that plane because I was elbowing and moving to get out off the plane, and I had attendants telling me, sir, you can't get off the plane. Now, really? <laughs> I'm getting off that plane because I didn't care if I got back on. I got out into that very busy terminal, and I was running from one end to the, to the other, yelling for Will. And I, was, I, I had the worst things going through my mind, as you can imagine. And then, Will still lives in my house, so this is going to end okay. <laughs> then, down the hall, I see Will coming towards me, hand in hand, with this woman, who, of course, I'd never met before. And I'm telling you, no tears in his eyes, no concern on his face, no issue at all. He's just looking at airplanes. He's having the time of his life. His parents are dying on the plane. <laughs> And here he comes right towards me. And I want to tell you, I've never squeezed this chubby little dude so hard as I did then. You'll see a picture of what he looked like. This is actually from that trip. <laughs> Those cheeks. <laughs> I mean, I grabbed that kid. I mean, I knew the meaning of pursuit in that moment. I remember bringing him on the plane and Amy just squeezing and crying. And, 
and, and Drew and Will just like squirming to get loose because he'd had enough of all this love. But I want to tell you, friends, we've all had to, those moments of pursuit. And sometimes it's a thing, but it's, it, when it's a person, it's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? Why do I share this with you? Because today we're going to look at the meaning of pursuit, the power of pursuit. And I want to tell you, pursuit, even the word we know, kind of equals urgency, doesn't it? We don't pursue, you know, without urgency. We do it with urgency. And we have to start in this place when we talk about pursuit. In the kingdom, God pursues you. He pursues you. That's good news today. That is good news today. You've heard me say it a thousand times, but I'll I'll never stop saying it because everything starts here for us when it comes to pursuit. We have to know that he pursues us, and he does. And the Lord says that in his pursuit of us, humble is great. Listen to another verse from Matthew 18 that talks about children. It says, Jesus called a little child to him, put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like this little child, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this, as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So this is the context of what we've read previously. The context is this conversation over greatness. The, the, the disciples were arguing over who is the greatest. And it seems that Jesus in this moment actually draws a child to himself and as he's teaching, keeps the child right there with him as an example of what he's trying to share. And it's a powerful example, isn't it? Because a child represents something to us. And in that day, maybe even a little bit different, I wanna share with you what I think it meant. We understand children as vulnerable, as trusting, as unpretentious, but in the ancient world, children were, were valued primarily for the benefit that they would one day bring to the family. The benefit wasn't really seen in the child who they were in that moment. They were, they were seen as you know, potential workers in, in our family's life, potentially able to carry on the family name in a strong way, potentially prominent, bringing prominence to our family. But they had no rights or significance apart from that future value. Now, I wanna say this, the, the Jewish culture has always valued children, so that's important to mention. But Jesus here in this moment celebrates the weakness, the, defensive, the defenselessness and the vulnerability of children. And he uses a child as the visual aid between the, the difference between the kingdom of heaven greatness or the kingdom um, of God greatness and worldly greatness. He shows us the difference with this child in his presence. What is he saying? He's saying that grace is for all of those who are seemingly unworthy. His grace is for all of those who are seemingly unworthy and the kingdom is theirs. And he uses the child even to, I think in a subtle way, condemn those who think they are worthy just of of their own volition, of their own ability. See, those who enter into the kingdom of God, they must turn from their own power their own self-seeking, their own status, and in childlike humility, fall upon the grace of God, the mercy of God, to allow them to enter the kingdom. That's what he's showing us with this child in his presence. It's not your personal accomplishments, friends, that matter, but it's your humble reception 
of God's grace through Jesus Christ. That really matters. Humble is great. Children are the ultimate example of the proper attitude of every disciple of Christ. Total dependence. I can't do it without Jesus. I can't save myself. I have very little to give without the Lord Jesus and the spirit who was in him living in me. Very little to give. I can't earn acceptance no matter how hard I try. I don't deserve it. But I get the chance to accept it as this incredible free gift. But I want to ask you this morning, do you believe this? I mean, I wrestled with the Lord on this. Lord, why would you want me to be strong on this point? They've heard it a thousand times. And I felt like the Lord said to me, because many in that congregation, many online, don't believe it. They don't believe it. Last week, Brian talked about having to release to receive, right? If you're here in the sanctuary, you remember the dome dog analogy. You know, drop the dome dog, catch what God's throwing at you. Friends, let me bring that back into this moment. What is it that you need to release to receive the truth and knowledge that you are loved by the Most High God, that you have purpose in his kingdom, that he wants you, he wants you, he pursues you, he is coming after you right now. If you haven't received that, you are missing out, and I don't want you to. I don't want you to miss out. You know, what are some of the things that get in the way? I want to name a few. These are the ones that came to my mind. First of all, the opposite of what we're talking here, humility, pride. You got to remember that it's humility that God sees as great, not pride, not your own abilities. Sometimes brokenness gets in the way. But scripture is very clear. It's brokenness that leads us to the knowledge that we are loved and accepted by Jesus. There's not, a, there's not an unbroken person in this sanctuary. Did you know that? You're looking at a broken person who's been able to embrace that the Lord wants to come and heal me in my brokenness and give me purpose, even in spite of that brokenness, maybe because of it sometimes. You know, the scripture, scriptures tell us that he uses our brokenness to minister to others who have been broken too. Beautiful that the Lord takes the things that we think are terrible and And are hard, don't get me wrong, very difficult sometimes, but he uses them for good. That's what he wants to do. He wants to redeem every part of us, everything that we've gone through, everything that we've done. Lack of love. Not all of us have grown up surrounded by love and acceptance. I don't know your situation. I don't know the family that you grew up in. I don't know the relationships you've been in. But some of you have grown up in very unloving situations in your life, and it is very hard for you to accept this unconditional love of the Lord. But friends, believe it. You have to believe it. He wants to come and meet you. He loves you so dearly. He pursues you with passion. He's coming after you because he loves you. The rest of what I'm going to say today relies on knowing this truth, friends. If we don't know it, we can't do the things that God would have us to do, and we can't be the people that God would have us to be. It's impossible. But with this knowledge, with the release to receive of God's grace and love, wow, what he can do through us is going to be powerful, is powerful, is magnificent. Because we're not gonna stay children our whole lives. Now, we, we always need to be childlike in our dependence upon Jesus, right? We know that, but he wants us to grow up. He wants us to grow from 
you know, milk to eating solid food. He wants us to become men and women of God. He wants us to become adults. We're always supposed to be childlike, as I said, in our reliance, but he wants us to grow up and be like chips off the old block. You've heard that statement? It's actually an ancient statement from, like they say, 270 BC. It first is found in, in writing. So this is an actual something that would have been in the dialect of, the, of Jesus' day. What does it mean to be a chip off the old block? It means becoming very similar in character to, the, to your father or mother. And in our case, our father is Abba. Jesus is the one that we want to be, we want to be a chip off of that block, don't we? We want to be like him. We want to have his character. This scripture is calling us into that. Be like me. So how do we do it? Well, I think we have to be in the knowledge that in the kingdom, our pursuit is powerful. It's powerful. When it's when it's inspired by the Lord Jesus, when the Spirit comes and moves through us, it's powerful. And people are precious. Do you know that? People are precious. Listen to the verse that we read just a moment ago. Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones. And now, this term little ones, even though he's got a child in his presence, is expanded beyond just children. He's saying, he's about ready to talk about wandering. So he's talking about those who are not on the path with Jesus, but have wandered off of it. So he's talking about those who are little in stature, but also little in faith. Don't look down on them. There's no caste system in the kingdom. You can't get away with it. The heavens are watching, Jesus says. It's a little warning here. Don't judge people the way the world does. Don't do it. The church has to be different, radically different. A place where everyone can come and experience love. If we look back to our theme year from a bit ago, heaven on earth, I want, to remember, I want you to remember the picture we are trying to portray. And it really came straight out of Revelation. Listen, look at these verses on the screen. After, now listen, this is, this is an apocalyptic passage that is giving us a picture of the future. Okay? Now listen to how awesome this is. After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. One of our, our friends that we've gotten to know over the last few years, Wayne Francis, he says, Are we building a house that looks like heaven? Isn't that a great quote? Are we building a house that looks like heaven? And this is why you hear us say, and hopefully these words will become fresh in your mind as I say them, that Walnut Hill wants to be a place where people of every age, ethnicity, race, ability, and gifting can go from inclusion to belonging to becoming. We, we're all on a journey together, and we want to see that vision expanded. Because what is it? It's the vision of heaven. It's a vision we all ought to, ought to have. We all have great value and significance in the kingdom of God. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God, and you are precious. We're precious to him, and therefore we're called to love people as he has loved them. We want to become a chip off the old block, don't we? We want to be like Jesus, and he was the perfect and greatest example of love for others. 
My family uh, is away this weekend. I, my daughter is in Germany on a school trip, and Amy's with the boys in, in um, Hershey for some soccer. So I kind of started binge-watching um, The Chosen. So it's not so bad, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it's good stuff. Some of you guys are very familiar with The Chosen. Now, you can, you can argue if it, how accurate it is to Scripture. I, I, I don't care about that right now. The, the, what, I lo- what I love about it is I find myself weeping almost every... <laughs> Almost every time I watch it. Why? Why? It comes down over and over and over again to watching Jesus love. Oh my gosh, it's so powerful. It's so powerful because I put myself in the place of that leper, don't you? I'm a leper. Don't have a skin problem. But there's been times I felt unclean, unworthy, not able to be or do what I think God wants me to be or do depressed, anxious, you know, fill in the blank. We've, we've all felt those things. We've all gone through different things. And I forget sometimes how precious I am in the sight of Jesus. Amen. And we can't forget it. Because when we, when we know it, when we know it, it enables us to be out there and treat people the way we knew we needed to be treated in those times, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It really does. So in the kingdom of heaven, our pursuit is powerful, people are precious, and welcome is witness. Scripture tells us that anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. We welcome Jesus when we welcome his children. So are we we known as a welcoming community here at Walnut Hill? I think the good news is that overall, we get pretty good grades in this area. But our welcome needs to become a hallmark, again, of Walnut Hill Community Church. And here's what I mean. I'm gonna gonna give some real um, accolades to one particular person from the past, Sharon Eidsness. Who was here in the Eidsness days? Raise your hand. Who was better at finding the new people in the fellowship mall than Sharon Eidsness? I'll answer that question. No one. (laughs) No one was better at it. And she connected people immediately. I'm telling you, she was, it was a gift. We gotta get back to that. Walnut Hill, we've got to get back to that kind of pursuit of people. We have to. Because our welcome is our witness. Especially today, when people are gonna be much less likely to walk through our doors. We've gotta do it online as well. When people identify themselves We have got to be so great at this. Thank you so much, Sharon, for giving us that great example. It needs to become a hallmark of who we are. So those of us who have been a part of Walnut Hill for a long time, we probably feel like we're friendly. But who are we friendly with? Now, this is going to sting a little. I know it will. But it's it's meant to. I had to look in the mirror myself when I asked these questions. Are Are we friendly to those we already know here at church? Here's the reality. What we think of ourselves doesn't really matter. It's what those who walk through the door for the first time think of us. That's what makes us a welcoming community. Church statistics are consistent when you look in this area. Most guests make up their mind within 10 minutes, and I'm not talking about 10 minutes of the service. I'm talking about 10 minutes from the time they drive onto this property, whether they'll ever ever come back again. Now, you can judge that and say, well, that's kind of fickle. Hey, listen, people are looking to feel like family when they come in here. And if they don't, shame on us. We gotta own this stuff. 
man, what would it look like for us to really create a welcoming movement at Walnut Hill Community Church and all of our campuses and online? What would it look like? What if, it, what if we went out of our way to disengage from those that you always connect with and make sure that you go out of your way to speak with someone you never have? I think there's time for both, by the way. I think you can, can, can connect with your friends. I want you to connect with your friends. But you could also go out and welcome, welcome someone. I'll tell you the key times is when you first get here and when you first leave the sanctuary. Those are the times. Get to your friends later. Find those who need to be welcomed, who need to, be, to, to feel the love of this community. And it takes intentionality. You have to choose to do it. What about our children, our youth? How are we going to invest in them? How are we going to welcome them? Who's going to invest in them? Who's going to welcome them? I want to tell you, we have a crisis of a lack of volunteers in so many areas, particularly children, youth, and in welcoming. So then specifically, what about being part of a welcome team? I think of Jesus' example here. He did have time for his disciples, right? We see it. We see how he even takes them aside and has special conversations with them. He, he even takes a few at a time sometimes. He gets away from the crowds. But we see this, the power of him literally reaching out and touching people. Those who were, who were not in, those who felt very out of the inner circle, he had a way of drawing them in. And they had a desire to be where he was, which tells us so much about the kind of man that he was, doesn't it? People wanted to be where he was. See, people are precious, friends. Welcome is witness, and one is worth it. <laughs> Isn't that true? One is worth it. Sheep wander. You know, because you used to be a sheep. Well, you are a sheep. You wander sometimes, don't you? I do. <laughs> but Jesus, oh, but, but just because sheep wander doesn't mean we don't go after them. Jesus compares sheep here to little, he talks about little ones. And again, this is not just little children. This is now those who have wandered off the path. And we know that Jesus never abandons the one. John 10, 11, John 10, 16, John 10, 28. Read John 10. You're gonna see all the ways that Jesus, using this shepherd's talk, talks about how he pursues the lost. And our humble servant-heartedness that comes from the fact that we knew we were sheep and wandering sheep at some point. And, and probably for all of us, we can think of one or two or 10 people who in our wandering came after us. Can you think of anyone like that in your mind right now? Could have been a parent, could have been a youth leader, could have been some important adult in your life, could have been a close friend who said, come on, man, it's time to get back on the path with Jesus. I can think of somebody in particular he was, uh, one of the, he was the first youth pastor here at Walnut Hills. His name was Doug Dry. He pursued me, and I actually stood him up a few times because I was just a you know, bit of a jerky teenager, and I, I did that. But he kept coming after me, and I'll, I'll never forget it. He got me interested and invested. I knew I was cared for and loved. I'm sure you've got stories like that. And we all have those in our lives who we love dearly, who we love deeply, who have wandered and we long to rejoice when they come back, don't we? You've got those people in your life. You want them to come back on your path. You know, I've been here at Walnut Hill on staff for 24 years now, 
And some of the major highs and lows have to do with just this topic. The, the one is worth it kind of stuff. And the hardest things over the years have been those that I've, I've spent time with, I've invested in, and I've seen them come to know and really wholeheartedly follow after Jesus. And then somehow, in the mix of life, leave that passion behind and go a different direction. I still pray for many, they're not as young anymore, young men and women who are part of that category. And you have them too. Some of them for you are your own children, their grandchildren, their close relatives and friends. These, this, this is the stuff that makes our hearts ache. Just as my heart ached as I went searching for Will, just as Jesus' heart aches as he searched after you when you were wandering, our hearts ache. I think we're very connected to Jesus in that heartache because he shares it with us, friends. He does. I want to say to you today, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep loving them. Keep fighting for the relationship, whatever it looks like in whatever way. Keep welcoming them and going after them. It's the example of our Lord Jesus, and he calls us into it too. Don't give up, because one is worth it. So I want to close today. I'll invite the worship team to come back up and just remind us that we are called to be people of pursuit. People of pursuit. That's what we're called to be. Here's a few questions. I, I, if you're a note taker, write, write these down because these are the questions I'd want you to consider this week. Number one, who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Who has God called you to pray for? What one, two, 10, 20 has he called you to pray for? And if you've put that down for a season, pick it back up. Start pursuing passionately. Start being reminded that your pursuit is powerful and go after them in prayer. Secondly, how well are we welcoming? I think we've, it's, it's, an, it's an assessment season for us, friends. We gotta get, we've just got to get better at this. It's a, it's a, it has to be a group effort. We have to take this on as a mission of Walnut Hill. I wanna tell you, it's a game changer. And in a moment, I'm gonna share with you a practical way we can do it. But I want to really encourage you to ask the question, how well am I and how well are we welcoming? Who are you pursuing? Who are you going after? Now, we've got to do this with sensitivity. And that's challenging sometimes. And if you need help with that, let us help you. <laughs> because we want to give you advice and help you on that journey. But who are you pursuing? And what does it look like to pursue someone or someone's care for them? reach out to them, have an impact on them. And then finally, how are we preventing our little ones from wandering? This is a whole sermon series in and of itself, I'm sure. But it's a great question for us as individuals to ask, what role do I have in, in, in helping our little ones? That could be children, yes. Could be young people, yes. But it could just be people who are wandering. How do we help them to stay engaged in Jesus? continue to grow in Jesus, to not want to go and find something else, but to find it in Jesus.